young guys who loved to surf. So he'd go surfing with them, and he was out there surfing with these young dudes one day, and finding he kept falling off his board and <clears throat> feeling a little frustrated. And finally he thought to himself, what the hell am I doing out here with all these young guys, you know? This, there's some, something wrong with this picture. Or the story of uh, a 71-year-old yoga practitioner who said to me when he was uh, noticing a new pain in his hip, he had the thought, I'm done. <laughs> he said, you know, I came to yoga originally because it helped me with my pains. Now he said it aggravates them. So he was feeling like he was losing his yoga practice. Maybe not all of his practice, but only some parts of it. <clears throat> or the grandmother who is over at her daughter's house with the new baby, and a friend of the daughter's there. And the grandmother, of course, is thrilled to pieces to have a new grandchild and has all kinds of advice to give about this, that, and the other. But she notices in the course of the afternoon that they're not really wanting her advice very much. They're not paying a lot of attention to her. They're busy chatting with each other, the daughter and her friend, and she begins to feel sort of left out, like, oh, I don't count anymore. So all, any or all of these experiences are the kinds of experiences that we begin to have. Um, they speak of changing realities. So did you discover in your contemplation any of these changing realities? Let's, let's have a show of hands. Do you, are you tracking what I'm saying? Are you noticing that these realities are changing? Uh, So there's another step that is crucial in this exploration, which I didn't give you before the walking, but I want to bring up now. The next step in this is, based on these changing realities, where, what conclusion are we drawing about ourselves? Like with the yoga practitioner, when he, he, he suddenly arrived at this conclusion, I'm done. What conclusions do you draw, are you drawing about yourself based on these changing realities? And another question is when we sense the loss of a former role, a former capacity, do we lose value? Is there a sense of losing value? No longer needed, no longer good, no longer... Uh, wanted, no longer have anything to contribute? Do we lose value? Now, through the eyes of the culture, there's usually the, the answer is oftentimes yes. We feel a loss of our value in a certain kind of way. And this is where the Dharma, <coughs> this is where the Dharma brings us a new perspective to this sense of loss of value. The Dharma 
does not go there. It doesn't say you are a lesser being because you can no longer function as you once <laughs> did. But rather it looks to the truth of change as something to practice with, as something to open to, to learn how to navigate with skill and uh, openness. It invites us to a deeper contemplation of what life is actually about. So in the monasteries of Asia, when I I was traveling there, particularly in the 80s and 90s, particularly in the 90s, it seemed to me that every monastery I went to in, in Thailand, somewhere in the monastery there would be a visual depiction of the whole journey of the, the body from birth to death. There'd be a visual depiction of a baby growing into a child, growing into a young adult, growing into an adult, and then slowly declining, becoming older and more infirm and more aged, and then becoming a corpse. It was found, it was a depiction that was seen in one, your, your eye took in the whole expanse of it. And it is a teaching. I have tried to find such a picture in the West. I have not been able to find something. Because we kind of go maybe from birth to adulthood and then we, we stop, you know, we don't go the next half. In the Dharma, this understanding of birth and death, they go together. They're not, they're not, death is not left out. It is a natural cycle. We, we see it in nature. For some reason, we don't see it so well in ourselves as humans. In the memory, memory, <laughs> the elusive memory. In some very ancient Indian text that is extremely important, that I cannot remember the name of. Somebody asked the teacher, what is the most wondrous thing in the world? The teacher replies, the most wondrous thing in the world is that everyone dies, but no one thinks it will happen to them. And it's kind of like that. So this visual depiction of the journey of the body from birth to death is, is a reminder in all the monasteries. This is what, this is what life is about. That's not, so in our world, it may seem morbid or depressing that we should have such a reminder. I don't want to see that. I don't want to think about death. You know, we kind of feel that way in our culture. But in the Buddhist world, it's just realistic. It's not scary, it's not depressing, it's not morbid. It's just the way it is. So when we come to the Buddhist teachings, we are opening ourselves to a view of this part of life as the way it is. Neither good nor bad, nor, uh, you know, it's nothing personal. It has a certain impersonality to it. Um, I call aging a very kind teaching, actually. How is it kind? It doesn't, may not feel that way to you, but 
one way it's kind is that imagine if you went to sleep one night when you were 26 and you woke up the next morning and you were 66. What a, what a complete shock it would be to the system. But aging happens so slowly that we have time to get used to it, don't we? You know, little by little. What happens when you see an old friend that you haven't seen in a long time? And my God, you're shocked. What happened to them? What are they, you know, do you have judgments? Like, what did they, they let themselves go? Or, you know, as if it was some personal failing on their part that they're getting old. But we do this to each other. We do this to each other. We do it to ourselves. You know, so we, we try so hard to, you know, keep, keep going to the gym, keep taking those vitamins, the smoothies, the greens, the shakes, the whatever, you know, that we think will, will stop this uh, descent. So, um, I, there's on the back table, actually, it would be a good time to pass the sheets out, the five reflections. I meant to do that during the break, but I forgot if the, yeah, the volunteers could. The five reflections, are they there? Yeah. Uh, we'll read those together because, so in the Buddhist world, there's just these reflections that are offered on the, on the reality of the way it is. That, that this is part of life and that we get to contemplate it and that it helps us by doing this because what does it do to contemplate these things? It takes it out of the realm of the personal, takes it out of the realm of uh, unrealistic expectations. It says, this is a shared experience. This is a shared experience. I don't care who somebody is. They might have all the money in the world. They might have all the wardrobe of the world. They might have every nip and tuck available. But eventually, aging, illness perhaps, dying for sure, will occur. So it's a great equalizer, this, this part of life. We get to see that we're all in this together. Nobody gets to win, so to speak. But in our culture, so, so I, I just want to highlight the difference between this view, how we might hold aging, and the view in the culture. The culture is not very... Uh, the culture can, what are some of the cultural views of aging and getting old? Let's just name them so they're in the room and we're not just thinking about them by ourselves. Let's just speak, speak out some of the views. No, we don't need those till this afternoon. If you work at it, you can put it off. Oh, it's behind closed doors that we age. Only when we're in the privacy of our, our mirror. The mirror and I together will... We are invisible. 
How does that work? Maybe we need a mic. Yeah. We are invisible. <laughs> Aging is not for the faint of heart. <coughs> Who said the invisible one? Could you say that again and, and, and maybe tell us a little more? Um, is, am I in the? Yes. Okay. Well, um, we're often not seen. You know, when you're in a crowd or walk into a room, when you're younger, you're usually seen. Yes. And very often, you're not seen. Yes, you're not seen. Yes. Uh, we're, uh, we've run out of coffee, so we're going to put more as soon as Katie comes back. <laughs> so if those of you who are sitting next to somebody with a copy, and we have a whole group here that doesn't have them, if you wouldn't mind just passing them along. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, so let's hear a few more a few more comments about how the culture, what you have noticed, the culture feeds back to you as an old person. Yes? You become a burden. You become a burden. Or even just the idea of a burden is what I notice. The minute you mention an old person, they start talking about Medicare or, you know, like, what are you going to, how are you going to take care of them? As if they need care. Maybe they don't need care. Okay, in the back there. Don't get old, kid. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. My mother-in-law always said, always said, aging is hell. Aging is hell. That was her mantra. Aging is hell. Uh-huh. Wow. We're no longer competent. Would you say it into the mic? We're no longer competent. In what ways? Anyway, financially, emotionally, <laughs> physically. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. Mentally. Mentally. <coughs> here's here's one up here. I'm sorry to. At best, we become um, respected but distanced from younger, younger people. Keep into the mind. Uh, we we become. We become respected by younger people, but we're distant from them. We're no longer their buddies. Yeah. There's a distance. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, here's, here's an eager person. Older and wiser. Older and wiser. Lovely. Let's hope. Maybe. One man said to me, I'm old, but I don't feel too wise. The world is becoming a big village. I, I was born and raised in India, and the culture there said that the old people are the repository of wisdom. Mm. And since, since uh, as I said, the, the whole world is becoming one big village, I wonder why that part of the human culture, I won't call it Indian culture, it's of, of human culture, has not penetrated to this continent. Yes. Well, maybe we are the ones bringing it, you know. We are, we are trying to bring some of that, say, here at Spirit Rock, through the practices. That's, the, that's where it comes from, the practices. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, here, let's let's wait for the mic. Yeah. I don't think that um, uh, not being respected as a bearer of culture is a, a, a national trait or a Western trait so much as a generational one. My grandmother was the repository of culture, mm. but not my mother. Okay, mm. so something got um, lost between mm. generations. Mm. What I was going to say though, my reason for standing to contribute, was that um, the perception of the old has become that we no longer have anything of value mm -hmm. to contribute. Yes, that's right. That? Yes. There's, there's, let's pass it down here. The pace of change, uh, particularly technological change, has left me, who used to feel competent, feeling pretty ignorant about how mm -hmm. things work and noticing a lot of impatience on the part of younger people who, mm -hmm. ch for whom computers <coughs> and all kinds of technologies mm -hmm. They've been raised with since mm -hmm. kindergarten yes. or earlier, right, and so right. on the road they're fast, 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 and mm -hmm. you know anybody who's old is dangerous, is you mm -hmm. know in the way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that kind of feeling that mm -hmm. we've been left behind, mm -hmm. and I think that speaks to why the old here are not seen as a repository of valuable cultural mm -hmm. learning, mm -hmm. because the young think. They've got the mm -hmm. way it's going to be. Okay. And we know nothing. Yeah. So, so, well, let me do, I feel moved to say right here as a, a, just to bring in the other side of this. What do we have? Let's all get this before we leave here today. What do we all have that young people do not have? Yeah, that's pretty good. The word I would use is perspective. We have a perspective that young people don't have, can't have. It's not their, maybe their business to have. They have other missions, other, you know, things to do in the world. But we do have a perspective. So even the sense that uh, speed is king, you know, speed is the thing now. Well, what do we know about that? You know. What do we know about technology that they don't know? So there's another perspective on all these issues that I think older people do have. Yes? Just noticing, um, I live in the city and I take um, Muni a lot, so noticing a lot of young people who are texting and chatting and, and doing all these things with our technology, one of the, the most common subjects is, does he love me? Does he like me? Did he call? Did he text? Did a ba 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 And it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> wow. I just yes. want to say that I notice that now they give me, that off, always people offer me a seat on BART. Uh, if I'm taking a plane, they always put my luggage in the overhead. Uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a kind of, um, at first it was difficult to accept, and now I like it. 
Why not? Uh, speaking about relationships, young kids are very interested in relationships, and often we're considered repository, in many cultures, we're considered a repository of knowledge about how to have a good relationship. But our generation didn't do such a good job. We had a 50% divorce rate, and our kids sometimes blame us for breaking up the family. So, But I, I hold hope that we will develop wisdom as we age further about improving our relationships, too, that mm. kids will want to listen to. Mm. Mm. I love all these comments. It's, there's a whole... Here's one more. Let's... Oh, there's one in the back, and then one over here, and then we're, we have to stop and move on. But these are great. From the time that we first entered into this world, we were told things to do. Our mothers, our fathers, all the institutions. So I think now that we're that at this wonderful age, we should just absolutely not believe the hype. Uh -huh. and create our own reality uh -huh. about aging and who we are as uh -huh. fabulous individuals. Uh -huh. And I think that will be good, and then we could just age on our own and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a sense of a new paradigm trying to be born. I see it here, and just listening to all your comments, I see it in the way that practice changes people. I see it in the way that that the doing this practice changes people's views and changes their sense of potential and possibility. So that is why I think this is, using this time of life to practice is so vital and important because it brings greater freedom, greater vitality, all the things we've already spoken about. Okay, over here, and then we, then we should probably move on. Hey, uh, there. See this woman here? Thank you. Um, I think one of the um, challenges is how we view ourselves physically. Um, a lot of times, you know, I think we, we compare ourselves, our physical attractiveness, to what it was 40 years ago. And um, each, each, each part of aging has its own beauty. I mean, there are, I know women who are 90 years old who are incredibly beautiful if you look at them as 90-year-old women. And I think um, that's a big challenge for our whole culture is to see the physical beauty of each part of aging and not compare it to what we had when we were younger and what the culture and the whole the culture the whole culture would benefit from being able to see beauty as we age thank you thank you so what we're speaking about are the changing realities and some of the ways in which the roles that we once played and are no longer available to us or the capacities we once had which are changing and no longer available to us. Could I have a copy of that? Um, well, she's handing out some new ones. So, yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Nancy. Because I want to I read this together. 
so we can together do this contemplation as part of uh, a way to practice with this truth of change. So does everyone have... Nancy, right across from you on the aisle here? Yeah. So let's just read this aloud together. I think it could be kind of profound. These are reflections that are, people are encouraged to do as part of their practice. So you might take this home with you and just have it by your cushion or wherever it is you, you do your practice or put it on your refrigerator. Or Yeah, did you have a question? I do. I wanted to say in reading, in reading over this, the second one, I am the nature to have ill health. Ill health is unavoidable. Yes. I believe that sometimes un- this is a non-positive thing to put out in the universe because we don't, ill health is not inevitable. You take care of yourself. You know. Okay, so. So I don't like <coughs> seeing that. <laughs> so. So I, I kind of get where you're coming from, the idea that if you, that this may become the truth, if you, if you contemplate it, that you're inviting that as a reality. Yeah. So you don't have to, you can skip that one if you'd like. <laughs> I would invite everybody to skip that one. <laughs> well, remember this was from the time of the Buddha. Perhaps they didn't have as many uh, ways of staying healthy then as they do now. It's also the truth is that some of us will die in other ways than by a illness or, you know, we might die suddenly of a, in an accident or something. Um, we don't know how we're going to die. So let us just read this. And if you want to skip that one, you can. Or cover your ears so you don't hear it. You don't have to believe it. Okay, so let's start with the, with the first. I am of the nature to age. Aging is unavoidable. I am of the nature to have ill health. Ill health is unavoidable. I am of the nature to die. Death is unavoidable. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. Separating from them is inevitable. My thoughts and words and deeds are my only true belongings. The results of my thoughts and words and deeds are inescapable. That's powerful, huh? I see this how, as we age, the thoughts and words and deeds, we could call it karma, they are here with us. The thoughts and words and deeds that we have most practiced in our lives are here in our consciousness. So this could be good news or it could be bad news or maybe a mix of both. But we can take that to heart and see that 
they're powerful, our thoughts and words and deeds. The things that we did or didn't do, the things that we feel really good about, the, thought, the loving thoughts that we have, the words of, of encouragement or love, of forgiveness that we have offered, they live in us, don't they? So this is what that is about. It's just, it's like all the chickens come home to roost. You know, as you get older, you might have some regret about something you said when you were 29 or, you know, 54. But there, so it, it, it speaks of the power of cultivating a mind where thoughts and words and deeds are, are allies, become allies for us in our journey towards death so that we have the thoughts and words and deeds with us that will most bring with them a sense of well-being, of, of completeness, of, of um, freedom from being haunted. I want to read to you something that uh, I love by the poet Milos, who wrote this poem at the age of 94. In it, he says, in advanced age, my health worsening, I woke up in the middle of the night and experienced a feeling of happiness so intense and perfect that in all my life I had only felt its premonition. And there was no reason for it. It didn't obliterate consciousness. The past which I carried was there together with my grief and it was suddenly included a necessary part of the whole, as if a voice were repeating, you can stop worrying now. Everything happened just as it had to. You did what was assigned to you, and you are not required anymore to think of what happened long ago. The peace I felt was a closing of accounts, the happiness on this side was like an announcement of the other side. I realized that this was an undeserved gift, and I could not grasp by what grace it was bestowed on me. Isn't that beautiful? Can you give us the citation in that? Well, I don't know the name of this po poem. Milos, M-I-L-O-S-Z. written at the age of 94 in 2001. So I would take the first line, in advanced age, my health worsening, and I would Google that, and you will find it. See, te technology is good sometimes. <laughs> so we live in this world where things are lost where we lose things. It's part of the way it is. How we experience that loss depends very much on our view. If we take it very personally, we will suffer. If we take it as the end of things, as like failure, we will suffer. If we take it as poor me, the victim, we will suffer. But if we can, with that greatness of heart, that largeness of heart, that wisdom of heart, see it as this is the way it is. 
This is how it is for every human being. I am not the only one to experience loss. Loss is part of life. The philosopher George Santayanta said, interest in the changing seasons is bet- it is better to be interested in the changing seasons than to be hopelessly in love with spring. <laughs> so can we look at change as changing seasons from fall to winter to spring to summer? We know this. We've lived through winters, haven't we? We've lived through autumns of letting go. We've lived through springs of you know, where we thought the, the, the hopefulness of spring would always be with us. We've lived through summers of doing and manifesting and expressing. We've all, we know these seasons, and our job is to appreciate the wisdom that comes with each changing season. If we are deeply attached to spring, we will suffer. So this is our practice, opening to all of it. So loss is part of practice. And then we also see the other side, that some endings are a relief. You know, oh, thank God I got through that. You know, many, maybe there have been times in your life that you feel greatly relieved to have moved on from, greatly liberated from some burden or oppression or task that you didn't enjoy at all. So, hallelujah, you know, we like to look at that part of change as well. So change has many flavors. What, what, when we open to this changing nature of things, what effect does it have on us? What effect does it have on you? Let's let's hear uh, some of the comments if we can. Making you work. Um, when you contemplate all the changes in your life, and how change can bring loss, change can bring happiness, change can bring relief. What effect does it have on you when you contemplate the changing nature of things? I am a therapist, and I teach um, uh, adjusting and accepting vision loss to people uh, of many ages, but primarily older. And um, one of the things that I do in my class that I teach, besides teaching them meditation to relieve stress, um, is at the end of every class, we recite together the serenity prayer and I go over it line by line and I talk about what the word serenity actually is Mm. and what acceptance is Mm. and I discuss it in terms of acceptance of their age Mm -hmm. acceptance of their vision loss and acceptance of all of the changes in their health um, and energy and whatnot that um, that age does bring to all of us. Um, and the idea, the strange idea of embracing who they are now. Mm-hmm. And what I see is um, over a f- the few weeks that I'm with them, people begin to relax, they start to smile, they mm-hmm. start to understand and appreciate who they are now. 
Mm, good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. That's such a beautiful example of what is possible. Well, this is an odd thing, but it's been real helpful for me. I've all of a sudden gotten these very strange um, piercing pains, staggering pains, to which I attach a story of doom and gloom, and this is the end. Um, I won't go into the nature of the pains, but just really bizarre. And what I've noticed with the five or six years of practice is that I watch this story and I watch the pain, and then when the pain recedes, I remember, oh yeah, that's what they taught us, that everything comes and goes. So there's been just a little bit of a respite there, mm. despite knowing that the pains will come again, to remember that the rising and falling is the deal. Yes, thank you, yes. Um, it makes a big difference. The story, we'll, we'll talk this afternoon about the story, because that is one of the biggest pieces of how we get caught in old identities is through the story. So this afternoon we're going to do a, a major deconstruction of the story and some of the ways in which we're stuck in fixed notions of who we are. So thank you. Who else? Any, they're in the back. I see all the way in the back. What I've been uh, noticing with my <clears throat> with myself and with my friends who have aging parents, and uh, also within my own aging, but it's also the acceptance in our in our family members of who they are now, yes. which um, is an amazing lesson for me because there's um, just this way I continue to want to see someone the way they were, yes. and not accept their diminishment. I mean that's a you know a loaded word, but just their capa lesser capacities or their mental abilities. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's sort of like this teaching <laughs> for myself that's coming through um, the elders. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. And I think there was one over here. Yes, we'll t we'll take this woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I'm feeling at a loss for role models on how to age. I certainly can't really use my parents. Um, they're gone now, but I have higher hopes for myself and, uh, rather than how they mm -hmm. aged. Yes. So um, I guess I look among my friends, <coughs> and we support each other. Yes. But we don't really have... Uh, great role models for how to do this. Yes, we don't. It's a, that's the truth of it. So guess what? <laughs> There's a certain freedom in not having role models, you know. That means we get to make it up. We get to create it. And it's both t a little terrifying, but it's also there's a lot of freedom in that. So perhaps you can sense the possibility of not uh, knowing there's a lot of not knowing in aging, not knowing who I'm supposed to be, who are my role models, where I'm supposed to go, There's not knowing when we're going to die or how we're going to die. 
we kind of get the idea that maybe I'm going to die, but when? When am I going to die? Maybe it'll be this afternoon. Maybe, maybe it'll be in 25 years. Do I? Can I even wrap my mind around that? We don't know. We don't know how we're going to die. You know, what is it? What is it that's going to take us out? We don't know. So this idea of not knowing is one, and we're not going to. This could be a whole day long in itself. This, this quality of not knowing, but really to become more at ease in the midst of not knowing is a, is a great thing to practice with, just not knowing. Um, and finding that life itself, if you're listening, if you're attuning yourself to the, what's coming, what's being offered, you will find your way. But you will find your way from the inside out, not from the outside in. You will find your way. That's why practice is so very useful. It helps to guide you in this journey of not knowing. Okay, so a very important question that we need to explore, and then I want to do an inquiry with you so that you have some chance to uh, do some more practice. And then we'll break for lunch by 1 o'clock. By 1 o'clock we'll break for lunch. So here's a big question. What is aging? What I mean is what is aging? Who is aging? When we say I'm aging or I'm getting old, what are we talking about? What are we actually thinking of? What are we referring to? We're referring to the body. This is really important to get. Now, the truth is, you know, a lot of us are kind of identified with this body. The body's been with us since birth. We think this is who I am. So the body aging, it feels like me. Yeah, me, I'm getting older. What do you mean, the body? This is me. This is who I am. But is it? And this is where practice can illuminate a new understanding for us. That this body is our vehicle. This body is our form. We are given a body when we were born. Did you create your body? Did you order it from a catalog? (laughs) Did you say... You know, this is the kind of body I want. This is me, therefore I'm going to get this kind of body. Do you know what your body is up to? We think the body is who we are, but then we find out that the body has a life of its own. I wanted to read something, but where is it? Always disappears when I'm looking for it. Oh. 
here. Okay. So here's some factoids about the body. This is what your body is doing. The body replaces with a new skeleton every seven years. The body grows new skin once a month. The body replaces new eyebrows every three to five months. The body replaces a new head of hair every two to five years. The body makes a new liver every six weeks. The body makes new stomach lining every five days. The body gives birth to 100 billion red cells every day. Every breath we inhale, billions of atoms that end up as heart cells, kidney cells, brain cells. The body replaces 98% of its atoms in less than one year. So in other words, at any given moment, parts of your body are appearing and disappearing without you even noticing. So if you think you are your body, which body are you talking about? The body you, had to, you have today is not the same one you had yesterday. So this is the way we begin to explore in, in practice, by seeing what it is we're actually talking about when we talk about a body. That the body is not this solid, enduring entity, but rather a living, moving, changing manifestation of, the, of life. Not me, not mine. I know nothing about my body, really. We, we generally, as, a, as humans, we know very little about the body, really. I mean, this wonderful science discovers more and more, but still there's so much they don't know. This mysterious living presence that we call me, this body has a life of its own. And it seems to do quite well without my fussing with it, you know. I mean, if I had to figure out how to digest my lunch, you know, <laughs> the body knows how to do that. Thank goodness. It does it all by itself. Thank goodness. So in the Buddhist view, this body is this body, but it is not me. And it is certainly not mine. I can't not owned by me. It's not under my control. In that sense, it's not mine. It is a gift of life. It was given to us. It will be given back when we die. But not me, not mine. It is what ages. The body and the brain, the brain is part of the body. Yes, they age. But what does not age? So right now I'd like you to close your eyes and just notice your experience. Notice your breathing. Feel your breath as it enters and leaves the body. Feel it coming in, 
filling your lungs, your belly with air, and then exhaling this in and out of the breath. And now I'm going to ask you a question. How old is your breath? What age would you give to your breath? What? Newborn. Newborn. (laughs) That brand newborn. Now listen to the sounds in the room. Be aware of the sounds. How old is your awareness? Does your awareness age? Is your awareness now any different than the awareness you had as a child? Or is it ageless, timeless, untouched by aging, by the changes in the body? When we are completely present with our experience, moment to moment, in the simplest, most direct way, just breathing, hearing, thinking, just touching our experience directly, where is aging? Where is the old person? Who is aging? What is aging? In the direct experience of being alive, where is age? So this is what mindfulness can reveal. Mindful awareness reveals what is aging and what is not aging. And this is an important thing to remember, to practice with, to stay in touch with. So we don't just tell ourselves the story, I'm old, I'm aging, I'm whatever the story might be. It's not all of who we are. There's this exquisite aliveness of being that comes when we bring awareness into the present. 
when we are here fully, tasting, touching, seeing, hearing, smelling, thinking, just this moment. Never to be here again, but here now. Okay, so now we're going to go into, before lunch, I want to do a, a dyad with you, where this is a, a form of inquiry that we do here at Spirit Rock, where we help each other in, by sharing a question with each other, we help ourselves go, go more deeply into the exploration. <coughs> so, um, so I want to say a, a little bit about inquiry. Um, but I think first, if you would find a partner, and that can be as easy as turning to someone near you and, and arrange, rearranging your chairs so you can be sitting across from each other. Without a partner, raise your hand. Heya? Okay, you found each other. Anyone without a partner, raise your hand. Okay, folks, listen up. So in this form of meditation, this is a meditation practice, it's called a repeating question. So it's going to be one person asking a question, the other person answering, the person who asks says thank you, and then they repeat the question again. So it is meant to help you explore your experience. In this way of practicing, there's no right answer, there's no wrong answer, there's just the exploration of your experience that is important. So, um, I don't have a partner. anyone else without a partner? So why don't you come up here and I'll, we'll work together. Um, so, um, let's see. So this question actually has three parts. Oh, the other thing to say about this is that you, you only answer the question. You don't get off into a big story about something else. <laughs> and you, 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 you use the question to, as I said, to explore, but get below the neck. So you're not just giving an answer from your, your head, but really feeling into your belly, feeling into your heart. Like when I hear that question, I... I feel happiness. I don't know why, but I just feel happy. Um, or when I'm, when I, wh what I want to say is that uh, I don't know the answer to this question. That's fine. You can say that. Um, I don't, I don't have anything to say. That's also fine. That's an answer. So there's no really, you can go wherever you want. So here is the question. It has three parts. So the first question is, where is the past? 
You might want to write this down. The first. Where is the past? The second question is where is the future? The third question is what is here? So the way it's going to work is, um, say my partner asks me, where is the past? And I look inside and I say, uh, yesterday. And they say, thank you. And then they say, where is the future? And I say, tomorrow. <laughs> and they say, thank you. And they say, what is here? What is here? Oh, my breath. Thank you. Is it here or fear? Here. H E R E. What is here? Okay. So, any questions? No, you do it. You, so you, you're going to ask each question, and then at the end you say thank you, and then you ask the same sequence again. And you're going to do this for some minutes. What this allows is the person answering to, to go more deeply into their actual experience. So try not to, you know, don't get too, just stay fresh with it. Yes. No, you're not taking turns. The same person asks the sequence a number of times, repeats it. Yeah. When you hear the bell, then you will change roles. Okay. So decide who will be the first person to ask the question. And... And we're, we're going to start together. Don't get too excited. We're, we're going to start together. So please begin. They're all where? Or no, what is here? Where is the past? Where is the future? What is here?
Okay, everyone, you survived. You survived. I'd like everyone just to close your eyes. Close your eyes, come back inside. Just feel your body, feel your breath. Notice what that was like for you. And then open your eyes and change roles. Please begin.
so, so take a moment to please close your eyes. Close your eyes. Take a moment to close your eyes. Come back inside. Feel your body. Feel yourself sitting here. Notice what is here. Notice what that was like for you. And then open your eyes and thank your partner in whatever way seems appropriate. <laughs> and let's come back together. Let's come back together as a group. Yeah. I do too. I was going to just say but one of the things that changed was that I get the finger more. So where do we live? Where do we live? Where do we live? <laughs> Part of the point of this exercise is to see where do we live? Do we live in the past? Do we live in the future? Do we live in the present? Sometimes. <laughs> Why, why would we want to let go of the past, let go of the future, and live in the present? It's all we've got. It's all we've got. And if you're interested in discovering the ageless, the timeless, the present is the only place you will find that experience. You won't find it in the past. You won't find it in plans for the future. You can only find it here and now. And here and now has endless possibilities, endless dimensions of experience. It is worth your attention. It is worth your devotion, actually. So here is why we do this exercise. Make what is here your mantra. At least five times a day, ask yourself this question. What is here? And look to see. Come back to being here. It's what you've got. And it is full of gifts. For you if you take the time to uh, look and be present with it. So let's hear some experiences. Anyone wish to share what occurred in that exercise? Here we go. I just had a, a 
reaction to what you just said, and that is that the past and the future really restrict you. You know, that, that it puts limits on you that you don't need to have. Can you hear? Is that on? Or? Yeah. Uh, what I said was that um, the past and the future really put <coughs> restrictions on on what you experience right now. That's right. It's so it's a problem if you stay too much in one or the other. Well, it's an insight. You're having an insight. The past and the future put restrictions on your sense of who you are. That's an insight. This is insight meditation. So you're getting your money's worth. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Yes. Right right here. In the moment when I was asked, in the moment in the here and now, I just felt such incredible um, communication. Wow, somebody I've never met before, and we were really, really here for each other. It was incredible. Wonderful. It was an incredible moment. Yes. And I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. So this is also a, a teaching. When we are present, intimacy is possible. Relationship is possible. I, I have the mic. Yes. I was just waiting for you to finish speaking. Um, I had, I have my dear friend next to me. So we've been, um, our relationship is all about, has, has been a history of healing and finding inner peace together. So to turn to her after three or four decades of yes. being on that path and yes. feel that instant safety and that energy going between the two of us was um, profoundly uh, um, a huge gift. Fabulous. And, you know, part of being here today, and I don't know what this has to do with, with anything other than I probably just need to say it. I recently got laid. I've worked since the day I was 16. I really recently got laid off from my job, and I'm 61. So I'm having some feelings. Yeah. I've always been valued. I've always, you yes. know. So I'm sitting here. Um, I'm not fighting off uh, feeling disvalued, but I am engaged actively in inviting this wow what is this new place what is this new yeah. chapter about great and uh, aside from having the gift of time i'm sort of screaming yahoo in in my heart because i can feel the newness mm. it's just so brand new that it's just lovely to come here and mm. explore um you know the disappointment feeling the betrayal feeling mm. and also right on the heels of that <laughs> this excitement feeling wonderful you know wow uh, Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you two can get together and do this some more. <laughs> uh, I don't think I want to entirely put the past behind me. The, the telling uh, answer for me to the question, where is the past, uh, the answer is here, now. That's it's, fine. It's with me. Yes. Um, the love, the disappointment, all those things um, move with you. It doesn't mean you have to dwell in it. Yes, good. But That's you excellent. You don't dismiss it either. Yeah, no, we're not talking about dismissing anything. We're talking more about the dwelling. If we're dwelling in the past, some people have that happens, you know, they get, that's where they live, is in the past or in the future. 
then, but you're, you're speaking about uh, some, another level of being where the past is alive in you. It's not something you want to give up or need to give up. It's part of what the richness of who you are. Yes, so that's good. Okay, back there. I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to retire, I'm trying to wind down and doing more than I would like, and had an insight that the amount of busyness, the commitments, and the efforts that I have right now are simply the result of, they're due to causes and conditions, the reflections of choices I've made in the, yes. in the past. So the past is what I'm living with, Yes. and the future is what I still have the ability to shape. By yes. making different choices now, I can give rise to causes and conditions that will allow me to be less busy and less pressed in the future. Beautiful. Lovely. Thank you. Ah. Anyone else? Okay. Is there somebody? There's one over there. There's one here. <coughs> I just have a um, quick comment, which is um, we don't all get to age. It's um, it's a lot of things, but some people don't live long enough to age, mm -hmm. and um, I'm grateful I'm getting to age. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. There's a richness. Yeah. <coughs> This will be <coughs> the last one. <coughs> I, I wonder if um, other people experience the same thing I do, that when I experience chronic pain, it's much more difficult to be in the present because I tend to extrapolate that into the future. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, so in our practice here at Spirit Rock, we talk a lot about working with pain because it's part of what goes on. So we, we say there's skillful ways of being with it and unskillful ways of being with it. So I would encourage you to explore that a little bit more, perhaps in another class. You could find better ways of working with, with pain. If you choose, it's just a thought. Okay, so we are now at lunchtime, and I'm sure you're ready for that experience. Um, so once again, you're free to, to go outside anywhere on the land today, and uh, you're free to wander up the hill if you like. Can we meet back here at 2 o'clock? No later than 2 o'clock. And this afternoon, <coughs> we're going to talk about and experience, uh, do some exercise around the Buddhist concept of no self. What does that mean? What is that all about? We're going to explore that this afternoon. Yes, there will be a bell at about quarter of 2.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.